Jack Nation, what's up? It's Bryson. It's Alex. We are back in your life. Episode two. We are two days away from Kansas football taking off. I'm excited. Alex, I know you're excited. So let's get talking about what we're going to talk about in today's episode. We're going to talk QB1. Obviously, that's the elephant in the room for every Kansas fan. Who's going to be the quarterback that takes the first snap? We'll talk a little bit about the depth chart that came out this week. I'm excited to dive into that. Give some explanations. I know a lot of people were surprised about some things. We'll dive into the defense. We talked offense last week. We're going to talk defense this week. And then we'll talk a little bit about South Dakota game, what we want to see, what we think we'll see. And then we'll have a little special segment at the end. But as always, have to give a shout out to my main sponsor, Madison Oakswell Partners. There's the guys making this happen. Madison Oakswell Partners is an independent financial planning firm based in Raleigh, North Carolina. Kenny Bollinger is one of the two managing partners of Madison Oaks. He is also a diehard KU football fan. Kenny holds a certified financial planner designation and has over 25 years of experience in the financial services industry. For more information about Madison Oakswell Partners, please call Kenny Bollinger at 919-805-8145 or visit their website at www.madisonoakswp.com. So before I get today's episode started, we have to go on a little bit of a sad note here for a quick second and talk about something. If you follow me on Twitter, you saw me tweeting about it the other day. Is that a good friend of mine uh, and also KU grad, big KU fan, friends with Alex as well. Um, Aaron Ward's daughter was unfortunately uh, diagnosed with some sort of cancer. I don't remember off the top of my head. And they have started to go fund me. It blew up. I know it blew up even before I posted it. And since I've, I've been checking every other day and it's continued to blow up. And I just want to say, I've always looked for somewhere to you know, donate funds and pour things. You know, People are always coming to me. How can we help? How can we help with this? Well, this season, we are going to do, our sponsors are going to match 50% as well. We are going to donate money. That way, Aaron, he, I think she lives in Salt Lake City, um, you know, would go to the hospital there. Aaron lives in Hayes, Kansas. You know, that's not an easy transport in any way, shape, or form. So we want to get some funds over there. Hope the best for her. Hope the best for Aaron. Hopefully their family, you know, can, can get through this. You know, from what I've heard, she's a very beautiful and strong girl, and I wish the best for her. I'm going to create a tiny URL link. I will drop it in the YouTube video for those that don't want to go searching for it. Just going to be tinyurl.com slash RCIU ward donation. Go there, donate, tell them I sent you, send it, send a million bucks, send a hundred bucks, whatever you can, um, help them out. So that's going to be that. I'm excited, Alex. I know you are. Give me a little bit. How you feeling? We're 48 hours away from Kansas football, man. How you feeling? I'm feeling good, man. I'm excited. I'm, uh, you know, two days away. Uh, I've been. I just went on a run not too long ago. Kind of was thinking about the season, and I, I haven't been that optimistic the last few years. But I'm feeling a little optimistic, and part of that is I just really believe in Lance. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna. I'm not too big on the first game or even this season as to as to what it means for the future. But uh, I think you're going to, we're going to see some things of why we think Lance is, is the right guy for the job. And, uh, you know, I just feel good to be talking about football. So I'm ready to go two days away. Uh, I think we're going to be uh, some uh, very happy Jayhawk fans after the game Friday night. That's what I'm hoping. I'm loving the note above you, loving the beat South Dakota above you. <laughs> I know I'm excited, man. We're, we're getting close to that point where like I start losing sleep. Like I'm sitting here, I'm pretty exhausted. Like my body just like doesn't sleep when it comes time for KU football because I just get so excited. So I'm excited. And I just know the KU fans have been blowing me up, dude. I literally got on Twitter the other day. I had like 94 notifications. Everyone wants to know who the quarterback is going to be. Everyone wants to know this, that, or the other questions about the depth chart. So we're going to dive into that and obviously address the elephant in the room first. And that's quarterback one. 
Um, so from what I have gathered, I've talked to people. I've talked to people that should know. I talk to people that watch practice every day. My understanding is Jason Bean will be the first quarterback out on Friday night. Um, however, I will say, and, and I believe this very confidently, I, I would say that Kansas fans should 100% expect this. Jalen Daniels will also get snaps at quarterback Friday night. Um, I, I don't see a world where he doesn't, just from what I've heard and how he has done recently. Many may remember I reported like a week and a half, two weeks ago, that Jalen Daniels like wasn't throwing at all. Like he was basically not practicing. Many had said it was really like he was completely far removed from the competition. My understanding is long story short is that he has bounced back from that injury and has been very, very impressive at practice. I know just from talking with people that the Kansas staff has felt that Jalen Daniels was the most talented quarterback the entire time. And, and I've said that, but, you know, we watched him last year. We saw the mistakes he made. He's still 18 years old. He's going to make mistakes. You know, he still needs to mature and develop. And hopefully, you know, Coach Zabrowski can get him there. And I think more game reps will also help him get there. But I think it's going to be J uh, Jason Bean taking the first snap. I, I think that's about as locked in as it gets. Um, and then Jalen Daniels is going to play in some capacity. I don't know if they have a plan on rotating drives. I don't know if they're just going to say first half, second half. I don't know what it's going to be. But that's the quarterback situation. I'm excited. Alex, what are your thoughts, you know, hearing that information? You know, I think the only thing that would be better is if we just knew into this season who the quarterback was going to be because we are confident in that guy's ability. I say that, I mean, you know my thoughts on Kendrick. I mean, the guy works hard, all that good stuff. But I, his ceiling, to me, is just very limited. These two, like you've mentioned about Daniels and, and Bean, they got the highest ceiling. Uh, uh, I like hearing, and in, in Leipold just said that one of the guys was starting to take – uh, steps in this competition. Uh, and then he mentioned Bean specifically saying he's starting to grasp what we're doing. To me, that was a good sign hearing that. Uh, I've always felt that he was the best suited to start this year. Uh, and Daniels might be the most talented long-term. He really might. But uh, hearing that these two guys are going to play uh, Friday, I think that's great. Um, I, 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 I think that's good for the future. We need to get the guys that can, are going to be here for a couple of years. Uh, that way, heading into next year, we really know is Jalen Daniels better or is uh, or is Jason Bean better? That way, going into the next season, we know and, and can move forward, uh, which is something that this program hasn't had for a while. So I'm pretty fired up to hear that those guys are, are, are going to be the guys uh, on Friday night. Yeah, and one thing I was like, I was sitting back, I was just driving to Kansas City just now, and I was thinking about this situation. And one thing that I think makes me feel like pretty confident about like regardless of whoever's back there quarterback is that miles kendrick was always in this race because we knew this staff was going to prioritize someone who could manage the game someone who wouldn't make mistakes and someone who could take care of the ball and i think that's that's the number one priority i mean i would tell you this staff would tell you the number one priority is taking care of the football and getting and being able to run the offense and not make mistakes so given that now you're hearing that miles kendrick has been removed from this race whereas like i don't think anyone's ever going to be smarter or better at least that we have so far at that than him that means that these quarterbacks are showing they can do it at least at a level high enough for this staff and now we're letting their physical tools that they have and miles kendrick doesn't have um allow them to take over you know and be the quarterbacks in the front of this race and like obviously like you said like the ceiling was really low on miles kendrick it's very high 
um, for Jason Bean and Jalen Daniels. And, and that's what we need, you know, South Dakota. I mean, heck, you or I could probably lead Kansas to, to victory <laughs> if we played a little competent football at quarterback. But, hey, you know, we want to win more than one game. I have a lot of money yeah. on us winning more than one game. The Kansas fans want to see competency. And I think seeing Jason Bean or Jalen Daniels, one of them doing a good job taking care of the ball and also using their physical skill sets is going to set this Kansas team ahead of at least where the fans uh, think they're at. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head if you ask one of the coaches what's important. It's taking care of the ball. I mean, Bipole this week has talked a lot about managing the run game, managing the clock. I mean, to do that, you have to take care of the football. What's made Kansas State successful over the years, it's that exact thing. Um, and, and I think you bring up a great point. Like, Kendrick is in this because he's the veteran guy. I mean, he has competed at this level uh, more than anyone. And, and to hear these two young guys come in and and potentially have, uh, have grabbed this and kind of separated themselves, I I think that's great. I mean, that, that's exciting. That gives me some hope for Friday night. Uh, and, and, you know, these guys are young. They definitely have some talent, uh, you know, with some good old line play, which I think we, we might, we have a chance to have this year. I mean, I'm comparing, you know, KUO lines to the past, which isn't much. I'm not necessarily comparing this KUO line to other big 12 O lines, but I think there's a chance a so line can be better. I was worried that that might not come to fruition just because I wasn't sure about the quarterback play, but we'll see. Uh, these two young guys definitely have the most talent. And, and, you know, if we can get that mixed together uh, uh, you know, we might be able to make you some money, maybe two yeah. or three wins or something. We'll see though. I don't get ahead of myself. I'm right there with you, man. Well, Hey, we're going to take a break real quick and then we're going to dive more into the depth chart that got released this week. Well, now we got to talk about the depth chart. It was released, I believe, Monday this week. I, Twitter was in a fury. I was not ready for it. Nobody, unfortunately, gave me a heads up. The depth chart was coming. And I was in like the middle of showering. And I see Benton Smith dropped it on Twitter. And everybody's blowing me up, asking questions. This, that, so here we are. We're going to answer those questions for you. Um, so just looking at the depth chart, starting on offense, the offensive line looks exactly how we told you guys it was going to look last week. Like I mean, like we couldn't have done a better job at least in that department, telling you who's going to play where and this, that, the other. What I think is going to be interesting is I did kind of say last week that Colin Grunhard, um, you know, may or may not have been out of practice a little bit, maybe struggle limited in some capacity. So I don't know if he's going to play on Friday. I think I would probably lean towards him playing on Friday, but I've been told if he doesn't play, what will be interesting is because this doesn't fall in line with the depth chart is that Michael Ford would slide over to right guard and then Bryce Cable do will slide into right tackle and Bryce Cable is currently like listed as an or, um, you know, and, and at the right tackle spot. But I actually think Michael Ford is going to start there uh, if Colin Grunhard uh, is able to run. So I think that's going to be like the big difference there. And I'm just kind of curious your opinion, Alex, here before we move on from the offensive line. It's like having guys that play multiple positions and having like a different mix and match, you know, is that like a benefit or would you rather have like a backup right guard that is going to take the right guard spot or would you rather have moving your right tackle and then putting a new right tackle. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, no, that's a great, great point. Great question. I mean, and to be honest, it's, I'd rather just have guys that can play multiple positions. I mean, you look around the NFL, the highest level of football, there's teams who struggle with depth. It, it's very hard to have a good second offensive line that plays, you know, of just a whole second line. I mean, you watch the chiefs in the Super Bowl last year, they, they struggled because of that. So it's more beneficial to have guys that can play multiple positions because usually you've got your five guys that you feel good about. And then there's usually one or two guys that you really can rely on. And you really hope that those guys can play multiple positions. So as you touched on, I mean, the depth chart is what it is on paper, but in the coach's mind, you know, somebody like Ford is listed at, as an or at the right tackle, he's going to play right guard. I mean, that's, you want to put your best five offensive linemen on the field. Um, and, and usually 
most of those guys can play multiple positions. I mean, you might not see a center play left tackle, but guards and tackles can sometimes be interchangeable. Uh, every now and then you just get a guy who's too big or just not quick enough to play other positions. But uh, uh, I mean, I, I like that. I mean, you got two young guys that could potentially play on the right side if Collins not ready. And then you've got some experience and depth on the left side and center position. That's, that's kind of how you want it to be quite honest with you uh, in a, in a perfect world. So uh, I think that's a good thing. Uh, disappointing to hear about Grunhart. If he doesn't play, we'll see. I was looking forward to see what he can do at guard being that most of his uh, career and time has been at center. Yeah, for sure. Well, wish Colin obviously the best about recovery tight ends. Exactly. I mean, there's only two obviously listed on here and everyone's like, where's Will Huggins? Where's Will Huggins? Will Huggins is going to play. I, I mean, he's like six foot seven, 245. That kid's going to play. And I think you're going to be seeing Will Huggins like serve a role, especially. And I know last week you kind of talked about how you want to get a guy like him in a position so that he can block. So it's not obvious, you know, that we're going to try and pass to him every single right. time he's on the field. But nonetheless, like Mason Fairchild, Trevor Cardell, Will Huggins, like all three of them are going to play. You're going to see Mason Fairchild get the most reps, I would say. Um, but I think you're going to see all three of them used in some way, shape, or form. Looking at the running backs, everyone, where's Devin Neal? Where's that? Everyone's, where's Devin Neal? Everyone wanted to know where Devin Neal is. I'm going to tell you guys this right now. One way or another, Devin Neal is going to play plenty on Friday. I believe that Lance Leipold said that last night at Hawk Talk. Uh, Devin Neal is going to play. He's going to play a lot. And like you said, too, last week, he's going to – his role on the team is going to continue to grow. I mean, he mm -hmm. is 18 years old. He literally just turned 18 years old the kid's role is going to continue to grow. Just like, honestly, I would say you kind of saw Puka's role. You know, he kind of was the offense, but like he was splitting a lot of carries when he first started at Kansas as a freshman. And then it came to a point where you had to beg him to come off the field. Um, so I think you're going to see the, something very similar uh, with Devin Neal there. Obviously touched on the quarterbacks already. And then the receiving room, like, I really think it's just going to be like five guys there. I, I see, like, they have six listed, obviously. Tory Lachlan, like, as a backup in the slot. Like, I guess I could see him getting – he will get in the game. I would I would say that confidently. But, like, I think you're going to see the five of Kwame Lasseter, Trevor Wilson, Lawrence Arnold, Stephen McBride, and Luke Grimm um, being your group there. And, and I've, I've found it interesting as I read message boards online. Like, I saw some people, like, saying, oh, like, McBride's been impressive. That's why he's, like, he earned a starting – McBride might be wide receiver one. Like, in my opinion, like – in my opinion, I think he is the number one wide receiver on this team. Like Kwame Lasseter, obviously, like, is a veteran. Is going to be a guy you know is going to catch the ball. But Stephen McBride is going to be the playmaker. Um, and I think one other thing I'll touch on with the offense, too, is that Trevor Wilson and Jason Bean are very, very good friends off the field. And what I'm hearing is also, too, the connection on the field is translated pretty equally. And I think you see, I've heard stories, you know, like he looks to Trevor Wilson. Like the Jason Bean's first read is going to be for Trevor Wilson. So it'll be interesting to see if Jason Bean does, in fact, end up being the quarterback, uh, what role that will serve as well. Um, moving over to the defense, I'm curious your opinion, Alex. Was there, what was your biggest surprise? Like when you saw the depth on defense, what was the biggest surprise to you? Yeah, I thought it was the corner position, uh, seeing Dotson in there. I mean, we've heard he's had a good camp. Uh, 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 you got a lot of young guys at that position. I mean, they're all going to play. We know that it, it's such a uh, football's played at a fast pace. The guys need breathers and all that stuff. So seeing Dotson at corner, uh, here's what I'm curious about, though. Is he a camp warrior? Okay. You know, every year you've got guys that are just really good in camp and the lights come on and then they just 
it doesn't click for them and they get uh, demoted to second team and they just kind of fade away in the year. So is this a product of something else? Is this a product of a guy who really was good in camp? And most importantly, can he do it on Friday, uh, Saturdays, but Friday in this case? Uh, so I think that's going to be interesting. And, and I like seeing the youth in that group. I mean, you've got two corners that are sophomore and a freshman, and then the backups through most of the secondary are all underclassmen. So I like seeing that depth there. Uh, uh, throughout and especially moving forward in this conference where you're going to see a lot of people throwing the ball. Yeah, for sure. And obviously like the loss of Cron Prunty, like it can't be stated enough, you know, he right. was very, very talented freshman All-American last year. And mm -hmm. so what I found to be, I guess I would consider to be positive is that you're seeing another freshman, a young player step up in that role because I mean, Cron Prunty was going to be the star of this defense with Kenny Logan this year. And now obviously he's transferring away from South Carolina so who knows what's next for him. But th that's exciting to me to see, I think, more that Romello Dotson is doing well because I'm very confident in what Jacoby Bryant can do and what Jeremy Webb can do. Right. So if Romello Dotson, again, almost like the quarterback situation, if you got players, hopping players you feel confident in, that's a good thing, uh, at least as far as I'm concerned uh, on the surface level. And I kind of agree with you. Like when the lights come on, some players shine, some players don't. It'll be interesting to see what works out there. At safety, Nothing surprising there, like Ricky Thomas, OJ Bros, and then Kenny Logan, Chase Gilliam. Like those are your four best players at that position. What I think is going to be very interesting is that I think you're going to see a lot of situations where Ricky Thomas might still be on the field and OJ Burroughs is out there as well. And then very similar, Kenny Logan's on the field and Jason Gilliam's out there as well. Jason Gilliam and OJ Burroughs have been fantastic from what I've heard, like absolutely fantastic. OJ Burroughs, I think, had a couple interceptions uh, at the open practice. Jason Gilliam, I've heard fantastic things. Now, what I think you're going to see is them serve a role like a Hawk position where it's like Nate Betts, you know, is currently listed at that position on the depth chart. Well, there are going to be situations that you maybe take him off the field and move an OJ Burroughs in there or move a Jason Gilliam in there. And I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how that works out and, and how maybe that shifts someone else. There's a Rich Miller come in and take Taiwan Berryhill's position that, in that situation. Be very interested to see, you know, how fluid that defense is. Brian Borland. I, I'm not going to question him. I questioned DJ Elliott every day. The second I saw him, <laughs> Tim drop Stephen Parker back in coverage. I, I knew I needed to question, but I'm not going to question Borland yet. I'm pretty confident in him. And, and looking at the linebackers, everything's the same there. I, nothing has really changed from what we've reported. And I think the defensive line, you know, is where I was getting a lot of DMs. People ask me like Sam Burt's number one, like Sam Burt ahead of Eddie Wilson. Like obviously people see a guy that was all Mac last year, transferred in from Buffalo. Huge dude. I mean, Eddie Wilson's listed at 315. I've seen him. He looks like proportionally like 360. I mean, he looks, but at least he's got the weight refined, but he looks massive and he plays like that too. And I think you're going to see him get on the field because of that. I mean, I heard about him disrupting the backfield all the time in practice. So I think you're going to see Eddie Wilson get in there. Ronald McGee as well. I think he's the transfer um, as well. What I think that most people were very, very surprised about, and I'm, I'm sure Alex, you kind of somewhat felt this way, was a Stephen Parker, nowhere to be found on this. You know, four-star came in from Texas uh, in the first class. Uh, Emmett Jones brought him in. And, like, I – in situations like that, I always tell people, like, hey, like, at the end of the day, he still is a sophomore, I think. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he is still pretty skinny, like, doesn't have a massive frame yet. And, I mean, you in his place, you have a senior – and Hayden Hatcher and a sophomore and Jeremy Robinson, who we've heard tremendous things about. So I always tell people like, Hey, like just because someone's not on there, one doesn't mean they won't play. We all know plenty of people whose yeah. name is nowhere near this piece of paper 
are going to play. But secondly, sometimes you almost have to see it as a positive. Say, hey, someone is playing better than him rather than he is, you know, complete trash or whatever the scenario could be. Yeah, and I think the one thing you have to remember, especially with these first first week depth charts, is these are usually uh, well. First of all, it's listed as a base defense. Okay, you've got three linebackers on there. This is the Big Twelve. I mean, you're gonna you'll have a four three maybe on first down, but when it becomes second and third down, it's gonna be a four two five. As you mentioned, you're gonna see five DBs on the field, sometimes six. But the thing to remember with these first depth charts is it's a lot of times it's just who's been most consistent in the fall camp. Okay. Now there might be a guy that has more potential, but they're just not consistent. Coaches use that for motivating tactics. They're, they're trying to get these guys to be consistent and be disciplined. We know that's something Lance Leipold really, really wants and any good coach does to be honest with you. So I don't read much into these first depth charts. Things are going to change from week one to week two. We know that it happens every year, every program across the country. KU is no different. Uh, I, I'm just interested in what happens on the field because that that's, that's where it really matters. You know, camp is one thing. Guys are consistent there. When the game starts, it's, it's completely different from there. Um, I think you brought up again, a good point about the, the defensive backs. You felt really good about Webb and Brian. I, I do too. So seeing another guy step up, that's a good thing. Like you said, right there, maybe somebody else is just outperforming them, but again, they're all going to play. Uh, that Hawk position is going to be really interesting to kind of see who that's going to be. The other thing that we're kind of talking about here is the depth we have at that position, which is good guys are going to get hurt. Um, it sounds like a lot of guys can play different types of roles out there. That's another good thing. Uh, so I wouldn't read too much into the depth chart in terms of freaking out about it. It's really just coaches got to put something on paper paper because the media wants it. I've been in those rooms before. Coaches hate doing it because they don't want to anoint it to one player or another. A lot of times people won't show up. It's a motivation tactic. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what actually transpires Friday night, though. And week two will look a lot different in some of those positions, I suspect. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And just wrapping this up, talking special teams, in terms of yep. kickers, kickoff, punt, everything, I think everything looks exactly, you know, how a Kansas fan would expect. Reese Vernon punting, Jacob Burchilla kicking field goals, Tay Brown kicking off. That's exactly what we expected there. Looking at the punt return and kick return, there was one thing that surprised me, and that was that Jamal Horn is not involved on a kick return. You've seen him return kicks, you know, the past couple of years, and he's fast. I mean, there's no doubt. Like, in straight line speed, he is very fast. I've heard in regards to him actually playing his position wide receiver, like some of the reason he doesn't get play is because his change of direction is there. But I was still surprised to see like Luke Grimm, in all honesty, as someone back there to return kicks is like you yeah. see him more as like a wide receiver that's always going to catch the ball rather than someone who's going to beat you with speed. But hey, at the end of the day, you know, special teams for us can't get any worse. So I would, I'm just going to trust Schoonover, trust that he knows what he's talking about and trust that uh, the Kansas special teams this year is going to be better. And then in punt return, I'm very interested to see what happens there because I think you have two different options. You know, Kwame Laster was our punt return last year, and I don't remember him ever returning a punt. Like if, if he did a couple of times, but there was nothing ever of significance that came from any of it. Most of the time, fair catch or we let the ball go out of the back of the inside. But however, the person listed right behind him is Trevor Wilson, who is very fast, very shifty guy. And so I'll be very curious to see, like, I see that maybe a, a timing role, like, will there be situations that you want your kick or your punt returner to try to return it? Or are there going to be situations you just say, hey, please catch the ball? Because I think Kwame Lasseter is going to be that guy that you're going to trust is going to catch the ball 99% of the time. Trevor Wilson might be at 94, 95, but there's more chance that he makes a play. So I'll be curious. And I'm curious your thoughts too here, Alex. I'm like, do you want a punt returner that makes a play or do you want a punt returner that's just going to make sure that you guys get the ball back? 
Well, you know, it's a little bit of both. The guy who can make a play, I mean, how inconsistent is he in catching the ball? Uh, you brought up about having situations. There are situations where you do put different guys back there. You know, if a team's punting out of their own end zone, uh, you want a guy who can make a play happen. Now, if a team's at the 40-yard line going in, uh, and you stop them on third down just slightly too far for a field goal, you want somebody like Laster who can catch the ball because the odds of a return are very slim. What they're trying to do is pin you, you know, kick it to about the 10-yard line, and if you don't catch the ball there, I mean, obviously, fumbles worst-case scenario, but you you don't want it to bounce on the 10, roll to the two-yard line. So you need somebody reliable to catching the ball there. Uh, you know, it's it's a balancing game, okay? The special teams, especially for a team, a program like Kansas, that can make or break you you know your offense is struggling all of a sudden you got a 40 yard punt return that completely flips the field for you uh but you also are limited offensively so you know having a guy back there who's not consistent catching the ball and that loses you possessions it can go both ways you know somebody uh oklahoma they can recover from something like that ku you got to be very disciplined um so it's a little bit of both. Uh, you got to kind of see what Wilson can do. You brought him up, uh, by the way, not to change subject. I love hearing that he has a good relationship with Bean. That's great insight there. Uh, I like hearing that. So it'll be interesting. I mean, like you said, I don't remember if Lassiter actually returned a punt last year. Uh, if he did, five yards. But uh, uh, I hope throughout the year you see Wilson become more uh, confident in catching the ball and able to return it because that's something that can, uh, you know, steal a win or two for KU. It really can. Yeah, for sure. So we'll end this. We're next up. We're going to talk a little bit about defense and talk about what we want to see against South Dakota. So obviously, you know, we talked a little defense in that last segment. We're going to talk a little bit more here just because there's some things I've seen people like DMing me, asking me what's going on defense, this, that, the other. And obviously defense is important. It's an area Kansas has struggled for a long time. So looking at the defensive line, a lot of people were like, why is Sam Burt started? Like Sam Burt over Eddie Wilson? Like what's going on? Like yeah, I'm going to tell you guys right now, Sam Burt's starting defensive tackle. He is number one. Like Caleb Sampson's role, I would guess, is honestly what's being, you know, up for grabs, for lack of a better term, um, by Eddie Wilson and Ronald McGee. And then, you know, you got Kenny and Caldwell um, right behind Burt. And I think there's a lot of comfortable room there. I, I would say, like, Sam Burt is a leader on this defense um, in the locker room and the weight room on the field. He is going to play, and he's going to play the most. Um, I know he's not the guy that's, like, always grading out the best, but I expect from what I've heard, I think he's gotten better. I think the new strength and conditioning has done well for him as well. So I'm excited to kind of see what he can do for this defense as well. And then looking at the corner, one thing we didn't talk about earlier is that Deuce Mayberry is the number one corner. I mean, his job is is not really up for debate. And I think that's, like, really interesting. One, for two reasons, because his brother was on the team. And everyone remembers Kyle Mayberry, and he was someone who was often criticized, very undersized, um, you know, was unfortunately on the wrong end of way too many passing touchdowns for the other team um, in his time here. I believe he's now at Utah State, but Deuce Mayberry is like the number one corner. And I find that interesting because last year he didn't get a ton of reps uh, on defense. And I also find it interesting just because last year I had multiple people tell me, and I know John Kirby said it too, which is makes it fact basically at that point is that Jacoby Bryant was better than Karan Prunty. Like they literally said Jacoby Bryant is genuinely better than him. However, now you're looking here, Jacoby Bryant is here and is sitting behind Deuce Mayberry. So that is something I, I look at as a positive as well. It says, Hey, Deuce Mayberry, he has more physical sets, skill set than his brother. At least I would say like he is a little bit bigger, a little bit thicker. And, if he's translating that onto the field, uh, it makes me feel somewhat confident. Obviously, we'll see, you know, what happens when the, when the bullets get flying. But we'll segue now. We'll talk a little bit about South Dakota. 
Alex, I got to ask you, if you get to see three things, you know, every week Fox always shows the three keys to the game. What are your three keys uh, to beating South Dakota Friday? Yeah, uh, you know, I'll kind of combine one and two. Uh, it's running the ball on offense and it's stopping the run on defense, okay? If, if you can't stop South Dakota from running the ball, I mean, things can change throughout the year as you learn your assignments, so I'm not going to be freaking out if they can't. But I think that would be a bad sign, especially for the amount of wins that they can get this year. So I want to see – uh, the offense run the ball, defense stop the run. And then uh, the third thing would be consistency from the quarterback position. I don't expect a 50 to 10 win or anything like that, but I want to see a quarterback uh, quarterback play that's consistent, not turning the ball over, able to hit uh, hit their throws, make the right reads in the run game. Uh, Leipold, I, I've read a couple of his notes from this week. He's talked a lot about the run game and uh, uh, controlling the ball, which Number one, that's going to help your defense if you're able to control the ball. Uh, number two, uh, Jason Bean, if, you know, we talked about him potentially being the starter. It sounds like that's going to be the guy Daniels will play. Uh, but Bean can run the ball um, himself. I think that's going to help control control the ball on offense. And, uh, you know, going into the fourth quarter, I said this last week, I, I want to see a game that's out of reach. I really do. Uh, you know, if that doesn't happen, I'm not going to freak out because, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not sure what this entire year means other than I want to see them get better each week. But as a KU football fan, as somebody who's going to live and die with every play, uh, uh, going into that fourth quarter, I want to see a game that's out of reach for South Dakota. Yeah, I feel you on that. And I'll tell people I will not make the promise that I will not freak out if we are not out of reach in the fourth quarter. I will probably be tweeting up a storm if that game <laughs> is closer than it should be. But that's that, and, and we're not going to dive too deep into that because I'm sure the, the Bryson Rage tweets will come sooner rather than later. What I think for me is that I want to see from this Kansas team is I've always kind of said when it comes to playing FCS teams, I always say it every time I shit on K-State for losing to four Hay State in basketball, is that South Dakota doesn't have a single player on that team that would not have taken a scholarship to play at Kansas. Right. You know, and so in theory, not a single player on that team could not play, could not have had an opportunity to play here. We chose someone else over them. So I want to see that the players we chose and the players we are playing are better than the players on the other team. And that has not been the case when KU has played FCS teams over the past decade, honestly. But I want to see our team clearly be the better football team. I think that is a very good sign, a very good like momentum roller, because I felt like we were the better teams. I mean, look at David Beatty's last season. I think it's the greatest example. We were so much better than Nickel State. We went out and beat Central Michigan the next week pretty handily, and then beat the shit out of a Big Ten team, which Rutgers is not good. But Rutgers is also better than Nichols State. Like, we should be right. beating these teams and looking better. Like, in the trenches, we should be winning those battles. We should be pushing them back. They should not be pushing us back. I hope to just see that. That's kind of what my biggest thing is. is that I want to see, like, we have speed. They don't. We have strength. They don't. We have a better quarterback than them. That's another thing. Like, their quarterback, they're, I, I talked to someone from South Dakota. They are high on their quarterback. However, at the end of the day, their quarterback could be playing at Kansas if we wanted it. But we didn't. So I want to see our quarterback be better than theirs. I don't want to see some kid that had three scholarship offers to FCS schools turn into the next Mac Jones or Joe Burrow. I, I don't want to see that. So I think that's going to be my big thing. I just looking at this team, looking at what they do. And, and hopefully, obviously, at the end of the day, we get a win because I, I, I think like the, I think Lance Eipold, if he loses this game, the world doesn't come to an end. The, the, the world doesn't end if we lose to South Dakota. I, I might act like it does for 12 hours or so, but the world's not going to end. Right. But what it does do is set back Kansas football's progress 
off the field. Whereas the mm-hmm. fans, it's going to set the fans back, the media perception. I mean, we will be the laughing stock. We are going to have a lot of eyeballs. We're playing on a Friday night, two weeks in a row. We're going to have a lot of eyeballs on us. So you got to just hope that we can go out there and say, hey, you know what? Like, get people believing again. Like, I remember when we hired Les Miles on college game day, Desmond Howard said that Kansas is going to a bowl game. We didn't go to a bowl game. I never expected us to go to a bowl game that year. However, I think maybe we could have. But I want Saturday morning college game day to not be them talking about KU playing on Friday night and that we got molly whopped by South Dakota, that we lost yet again to an FCS team. When they talk about Kansas City, like Lance Leipold has gone there and changed the culture. Lance and like we want the perception to be what Lance is doing. I know Lance is changing the culture. I, I've heard it from people who were there every day. I know he's doing it. But the people on the outside are just going to be, oh, it's old Kansas. Every single sharp better I talk to is out there saying, oh, Kansas, one win. They're, we're going to win one game. That's what they're all saying. You know, got everybody making fun of the jerseys this week saying, oh, they're going to look good, but they're going to lose. You know, and it's like we need to go out there and change the public perception of Kansas. I think that's going to be a big thing and a big step in the right direction uh, for where we go. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think that's really important. I mean – the bar is pretty low. <laughs> you said to turn on college game day and not have them be laughing at Kansas because we lost to an FCS school. But I mean, it, it's it's true. Like every year, we we've, we've been better than those FCS schools. We're more talented than they are, but it just hasn't shown. Part of that's the players. Part of that's the coaching. That's why I believe in light poles. I just think you're going to see that for a change. Now, is that what makes KU football successful? No, but that's just, that's the bare minimum. And right now, like you said, it's changing the public perception, even just locally, even for a few segments on ESPN. And you can do that simply by being South, beating South Dakota. It shouldn't be that hard for Kansas to do, but Hey, you know, that's the position we're in. Uh, I mean, you, can you imagine just what people would be saying about KU football and Lance Leipold if they won three games? I'm not calling for KU to win three games, but the, the bar is it's very low for us. Uh, and, and I just don't think our coaches, I know you talked about this with Beatty and Miles, and, and I completely agree that uh, even back to Charlie Weiss, they just haven't got the most out of their talent. We could have had all those kids at Nickel State, uh, Indiana State from a couple years ago, South Dakota, but we didn't. So let's let's get our coaching staff, our players to act like that. And, and, and that public perception, I mean, it's going to do a lot. Okay. I don't expect us to go to a bowl game. you mentioned Desmond Howard mentioning that. I mean, I don't think any realistic KU fan actually expected that he was just less miles. You know, he's a Michigan guy, all that kind of stuff. Uh, for, for us, we, we know what's real KU football fans right now to be excited about Lance Leipold want to beat South Dakota and be competitive in, in a lot of games. If they go one and 11, and are competitive, KU football fans will be excited about that. Okay, it's small things for us. Um, you know, we'll take it one game at a time. But uh, I think changing the public perception is going out there and beating South Dakota. And in the fourth quarter, that game's out of hand. It's a pretty low bar, but it's where we're at. And it would be a good step in the right direction. Yep, I'm with you there. I'm with you there 100%. So what I would say to wrap up this is that everyone always DMs me. And is always like, you know, what do you think Lance is going to do? What can you see Lance doing? As I always say, is Lance was winning at Buffalo with less talent. Like he was not, I mean, Buffalo's recruiting classes were in like the nine. I saw one year in the hundreds. Like they weren't recruiting well. Like, I think we finally have a coach who can coach a football game. Like that has like been, I always said that about David Beatty. I was like, you need to go find someone to replace him on Saturday. When he walks out of his house, he poofs, disappears, and Nick Saban shows up and coaches us on Saturday. And then he comes back on Sunday. 
that era would have been a lot better. Hell, David Beatty might still be here if he was a better football coach. But I think we're finally going to have a coach that can call the right plays, make the right decisions. And it's like, I sit back at that Texas Tech game last year. We should have won that game. There's, there's no excuse for why we didn't win that game because Texas Tech did everything they could to hand that game to us. And over the past couple of years, I mean, when, they, when we beat Texas Tech at home, I mean, if they don't lateral the, that ball backward after they blocked a kick, which is the dumbest thing I've ever seen happen, <laughs> um, who knows what happens in overtime. You think about TCU a couple of years ago, if you remember like Peyton Bender like ran out the back, like ran through the ball out the back of the end zone, didn't throw it high enough. So we had to kick the ball off to the other team. And it's like, we're finally going to have a coach that you hope it's fourth and one. You need the first down to win the game that we're finally going to have confidence. We're going to get that first down. And I think that's going to go a long way. So that is what we're going to talk about with South Dakota. Next up, we're going to do a little bit more of a fun segment uh, to wrap up today's show. So for everyone that knows me, you know, I'm a gambling man. I love to bet. I bet too much. I bet way too much all the time. But Alex is not. We're working on it. We're going to turn him into a gambling man. So we're going to add a segment on this show every week. It's going to be on the Wednesday show for sure. Just talking about the games that are coming up this weekend. Most weeks we'll talk mostly just big 12 games. And then we'll maybe add in, you know, you get Alabama, Auburn, Alabama, and you get those marquee games. We'll touch on them, but we're going to keep track this season. Me and Alex versus the spread. See the guy who bets all the time versus the guy that doesn't bet. See who knows more. So looking at the first game, the first game on the board for us here is Kansas state playing Stanford. KSU is minus three points. It's in Dallas. It's at Cowboy Stadium. What's your thoughts there? Yeah, uh, I think that's an inter- interesting game. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to take Kansas State in the points. You said minus three, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to take K-State in the points. Veteran quarterback Thompson's coming back. Stanford didn't have a big season last year. Only played a few games. Uh, had a lot of practice limitations. First game of the year, I think K-State uh, is prepared and and uh, wins that one. Yeah, for sure. And I... I... I'll stop for a second. A lot of people, the biggest criticism we got last week is that we agreed too much. And this is going to be the segment where we don't agree. I'm I'm implanting this so that we don't agree all the time. However, unfortunately, because I don't want to root K-State, I do agree with you here, is that what's interesting here is that Kansas State actually opened like plus two. Like they were the underdog when this opened and now they've moved like five points, which is pretty impressive. Like I see it more as that I think K-State is just ready more in week one to play than Stanford. However, I will happily take a loss here and happily watch K-State lose to Stanford. That would be a dream come true for me. So no complaints from me if we end up being wrong there. Next up on the board, Steve Sarkeesian's Texas is minus eight versus University of Louisiana Lafayette. What are your thoughts there? Uh, Hate to keep taking the favorite. Going to take Texas as well. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what Sarkeesian can do at Texas. I think he's going to be successful there. I think uh, he's rehabilitated himself. Spending some time in Alabama has been really good for him, in my opinion. Uh, I think Texas is going to come out and be a good football team this year. I don't know. Texas isn't back. But I think they're going to be good, and people are actually going to be pretty fired up for the future. I'll take Texas in the points. Yeah. So I'm going to disagree here with you. This is We got it. Everyone's going to be happy here. We have a disagreement. <laughs> I find what I find to be interesting here is Louisiana – opened as 10 point underdogs and now we're sitting at eight is that i don't think there's many worlds where louisiana can win this game but like i see this as like texas is up two scores and louisiana just comes to like backdoor call like they're up 13 or 14 and then louisiana scores at the end of the game um you know i i'm i feel 
pretty good about this Louisiana team. They beat Iowa State last year, who is mm-hmm. very, projected to be very good this year. Um, but I just – I watched this Louisiana team play a lot last year, and I like it. Their quarterback, shifty little kid. I just see it as, like, I think Texas is not back, but I do think – I'm pretty high on, like, what Sarkeesian can do there. I think right. that team is filled with talent. They're almost just, like, a, a good version of KU where they just, like, haven't been getting anything out of their talent. Like, mm-hmm. they've just been completely underperforming. Um, yeah, but yeah, so I, I feel pretty good that like this game's going to be good. I think Texas wins, but I'm going to lean towards Louisiana plus the eight points there. Um, the last, um, or I guess not last year, but another big 12 game here, Iowa state minus five versus Iowa rivalry game. What's your take? You know, if I remember right, Iowa state has struggled with Iowa in recent years. Um, I think they've beat them since 2014. Okay. Well, there you go. That answers my question. Uh, taking the Big 12 favorites again, even though last week we were talking about how we don't feel that the Big 12 is all that great. Uh, Iowa has a lot of pressure on themselves this year. We'll see. I just believe in Matt Campbell as a coach. Five, I think Iowa's a touchdown, but Iowa State is a touchdown better than Iowa. I think it ends up that way. I'll take the favorite again. Go on, Shaw. Yep. <laughs> I, I'm going to agree with you here. And I, I, I think this is going to be a situation where you're going to have a close game and you look at Iowa State pulling away. Like you got, you're, you're sitting at three points. Iowa State drives down the field with four minutes left, scores, and Iowa can't score. I just see it as like, I don't think Iowa State's going to be as good as everyone thinks, Sarah, especially because yeah. now, I mean, for the first time in forever, basically they have expectations. Um, but I, I am still at the same time high on them. Like, I, I don't think it's fair to Iowa State to be like, you're not going to be that good when they're probably going to go nine and three. But yeah. I, I, that's, that's not fair. But I don't think that um, they're that great in the grand scheme. But I think they are five points better than Iowa. I think Brock Purdy, you have about as experienced of a quarterback as it can get a right. good quarterback, a good coach. Um, I just see Iowa State, you know, winning by a touchdown or so here. Uh, last big 12 game, and then we'll talk about the marquee game of the week. West Virginia. In this game, I have no, like, honestly, I don't know what to do here. You got West Virginia minus two and a half playing Maryland. What's your thoughts? And you mentioned you have no idea what to do here. I don't either. I I haven't done a lot of research on either of those teams. Um, Chalk, Big 12, taking, taking West Virginia in the points. It's, I've, I've watched Maryland last year a couple times. I wasn't impressed. Um, I do like Neil Brown as a coach. I still think they're a few years away from, from being good. Uh, you know, I don't know if they'll ever get back to as good as they were at times under Holgerson, but uh, two points isn't a lot. I, I think they can, I think they can get that done. I see them yeah, winning so, by a field goal. Yeah. So I, I, like I said, I don't know what to do here, but I think I lean Maryland. I am not high on West Virginia. I, I'm high on Neil Brown as a coach. I think he's a very good coach. But I'm just not very high on them. They're a team that I think that KU has a chance of beating if, if things start gelling well. So okay. I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna take the Maryland plus two and a half simply because I just think Maryland's gonna win this game and not by very much. I, I just kind of lean towards I think Maryland winning that game. So last up, the marquee game, every fan of college football is going to be probably watching this game, or they're not a fan of college football. Clemson playing Georgia and Atlanta. And for those of you that know, I work at BR, I work at BR betting, and we're in a shirt. We are actually going to be at that game. Our intern, Caroline, is going to be there. So follow us on Instagram. She'll be giving us stuff uh, live from that event. But nonetheless, Clemson is minus three playing Georgia. And Clemson, Trevor Lawrence is gone. A new era for that team. What are your thoughts there? 
It's a tough one. You know, I want to lean towards Clemson and their experience, but I think Georgia's going to, I think this might be the year that Georgia rises up. I'm a little unsure of that quarterback position. That is the only thing that hangs me up for Georgia. I think they have all the pieces. Uh, watched them last year against Tennessee, a team that I follow closely. Really wasn't that impressed at the time. I can't go all chalk this week. I can't. So I got to take Georgia. My, nice. my, I can't. My, my head's telling me my head's telling me Clemson, but my my gut's telling me Georgia. Nice. Well, I I am I'm with you there again. Unfortunately, the the people who hate <laughs> that we agree all the time are going to be mad about this. But I'm with Georgia. I I lean toward Georgia just winning this game, like. I've always kind of said with like, especially college football or sports in general, like when it comes to these games, it's really just a coin flip on who's going to win like three points. Like, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't matter either way. Like Georgia, I wouldn't be surprised wins are like four or five, you know, it's like, you're just kind of shooting for a crap shoot number here at, at minus three. And like, I think Georgia, I just kind of slightly lean more towards them winning the game. I think that I agree with you about the quarterback position, but I really take away is that like that Clemson team had Trevor Lawrence last year. Mm-hmm. And got Molly Watts the one time they played a good team. You know, the Ohio State beat them up last year. They did. And I, I I don't think this Georgia team is as good as that Ohio State team last year. But I just I just was not impressed by that. And, like, to back that up as well is that you saw Trevor Lawrence out. I think he had COVID for a couple of weeks. And you saw DJ Ugalele or whatever his name is. They right, lost yeah. to Notre Dame and then almost lost to Boston College. Yeah. And if – Every KU fan remembers this. Don't even have to ask if you remember. We smacked the shit out of Boston College <laughs> two years ago. So I just I just can't come around to thinking that all of a sudden that team is going to be that much better. Like I at this point, like I need Clemson to prove to me that they're still like a powerhouse. I, I think they're good. They're one of the top five teams in college football, probably. But I'm high on Georgia. I actually have an Oklahoma versus Georgia national championship future for that yeah. to be the national championship game. I, I I'm very high on that coming to fruition. So I feel good here. I think Georgia plus three, but honestly, this is going to be one of those games where it's like just whoever wins is probably going to cover three. So you just got to kind of hope, take the extra three points and uh, hope Georgia's going to win there. So that's my take. Do you have any yep. more takes before we play? We're two days away, man. What do you have? Yeah, I mean, those are two similar teams right there. I mean, they're very good programs, great depth all around. Who's going to have the better quarterback player? Are you taking Clemson and the history or Georgia? Who, If Georgia has the better quarter, if Georgia's quarterback play is – if you can satisfy that, uh, they're going to be Clemson. And I think you bring up excellent points about how Clemson struggled last year without Lawrence. Um, what's the line on the KU game? I forgot to check. So well, I guess this is the last one here. KU <laughs> minus 14 and a half. Opened at 15 and a half. And I hated that number because it's like the idea of KU winning a game by 16 or more points, like actually coming to fruition is mind blowing. I mean, yeah. I think Boston college would be the only game in the past two years that's happened. And then Rutgers would be the only other game. Right. I mean, yep. like, yeah, you know, right. I don't, I think Rutgers might be the only 16 plus point win. David Beatty, I guess, Rhode Island, you know, it's like, we've had like it's, three wins by barely beat Texas tech. Yeah, barely beat Texas, like yeah. barely beat TCU. So okay. like we've had like three wins by 15, 16 plus points, um, you know, in the past five or six years. So like you hate this number, but it's coming back a little bit. It's at 14 and a half. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, uh, I ain't going to go chalk every week. I promise I'm not always going to take the favorites, but I'm going to take Kansas here again. You mentioned it earlier. I think we have a football coach, somebody that's going to prepare the team throughout the week, uh, somebody that knows teams' tendencies in, in critical situations, situational awareness as a coach. 
think Leipold has that. I don't think some of our most recent coaches, situational awareness, Beatty, Miles, I don't think they knew what they were doing in critical situations. I think Leipold does. He's a program builder. He went from D3 to Buffalo, uh, now Buffalo to Kansas. Arguably, D3 to Buffalo is a bigger jump. Uh, Kansas in the points. Let's go. Yeah. So I, you know, at 14 and a half, I will not bet this. I won't even put a penny on this. If someone said bet me a penny, I wouldn't even do it. But for the sake of this show, I will say, like, I do lean towards Kansas minus 14 and a half. So I am going to take that. But I don't love it for a second. I, I don't even, like, I don't love that at all because I just know how this comes out. And it's KU throwing a game-winning touchdown. Like, I, I just, I've seen this too many times. But it's, like, it's one of those situations that it's, like, I just don't think South Dakota is very good. Like, I, I think yeah. if this Kansas offense can move the ball at all, like, I just think you're going to see us win 27-10, you know, 35-10. Like, I am – for those that are going to follow this and bet it, the under is the play here. I don't think South Dakota is going to score very much. I don't think in the grand scheme of things Kansas will score a bunch unless South Dakota just turning the ball over and handing us stuff or they just can't contain Jason Bean or something. But I think 14-and-a-half is probably just like a good spot to scare just about everybody. I don't think anyone should feel confident adding 14-and-a-half to South Dakota – don't think anyone should feel confident subtracting that from Kansas, especially given our history. So that is all I have for today. Alex, give everybody a sentence or two to feel about Friday. We're two days away from the game, man. Let everyone know. Well, what's your closing thoughts here? Yeah, uh, I think what you need to look for is a more disciplined Kansas football team. I think Leipold's going to bring that. Uh, I think they're going to be ready to go. I'm, I'm a big believer in Lance. Uh, I'll say it again. We'll see what happens in the first couple of weeks. I think you're going to see a football team that gets better throughout the year. You will not see me melting down if things don't go that way on the first week or two. Uh, it's hard. We're all KU fans. We live and die. But uh, I think I think we finally have the right guy. Hey, everybody, everybody hates hearing this. Just be patient. Yep, that, that is the move at this point. So for everyone that doesn't know, we will be doing an episode recapping the game Saturday or Sunday sometime in there. I know the Friday game kind of throws things out for us, but mm-hmm. we'll get that out for you. And then a week from today, I'll be in Myrtle Beach with the beach behind me talking about how we're going to beat Coastal Carolina and be 2-0 for the first time in forever. So thank you, everyone, for listening and rock chop.